0: Today's teaching is of Book of Matthew, uh, chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ernie. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Father, we have tasted and we have seen that you are good. Lord, you put breath in every person's lung this morning. Father, you cause the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Father, this morning, we thank you for the words of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the straightforwardness of those words. We thank you that Jesus didn't pull any punches. But Father, he tells us exactly what it means to follow you, to follow him. Lord, you've given us clear instructions of what it means to be a true believer Father, at the end of this service, if there's even one that would count the cost and follow you, Father, we would give you praise. But Father, we would ask, would you raise up an army of Christ's followers and start this morning, Lord, how desperately our world needs to see those who truly follow Christ. Our world needs Jesus, and it needs to see those who truly follow Christ true Christianity. Father, would you speak to us this morning? We, we thank you for your word. Father, would you use me as an instrument? Father, you know my weaknesses. You know where I fall short. Father, we want to hear from you this morning, and so would you do that this morning through me? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. It's always uh, good to share with you what God's put on my heart. The sermon this morning is titled, Costlier Than You Think. And I realize some of you may be asking, hey Chris, where's that handy-dandy outline that you always give us? You know, I need that handy-dandy outline. Well, I didn't put together the handy-dandy outline this morning because we're just covering five short verses and actually only have three points. And, but, but these three points, I, I think, contain a very powerful message. One that God wants to share with us this morning. So let me go ahead and give you those points. Point number one, following Jesus is not for the masses. Point number two, following Jesus means having a great commission mindset. And point number three, following Jesus means that he comes first. That's it. Three points. There you go. Write those down. So a few, few years ago, uh, before my family and I moved to Boston, uh, we embarked on that old, time-honored American dr- tradition—the home renovation project. And you know, we were renovating our kitchen. We were fully prepared for it, or so we thought. We had a design, we had a detailed budget, we had two months' worth of microwave meals so we could eat on the dining room floor. We were all set. I felt pretty good about what we were about to do. Now, I didn't go into this completely naive. You see, I've seen enough Property Brothers and Fixer Upper episodes to know that there's always that moment, right? About halfway through the episode where the contractor comes to the homeowner and says, I'm sorry, I've got some bad news. You know, I was was getting ready for that. Well, sure enough, that day came. Our contractor came to us and said, you know, the beams beneath the floor of your kitchen, which I'm sure you've never seen or looked at, Um, they're not strong enough to support what we're trying to do here, and we need to fix it. And that's going to cost X number of dollars to fix. Well, there went the budget. (laughs) It was gone. And of course, as things tend to go in time, we upgraded the backsplash tiles. We thought, oh, we could use a little nicer sink. Pretty soon, three months into it, uh, we were way over budget and way over our timeline. And let me tell you, those, those microwave tater tots, they're getting pretty old. (laughs) needless to say one big takeaway from this project and what I tell anyone who's getting ready to embark on a similar project is that it's always going to be costlier than you think always going to be costlier than you think as we look at our text this morning this to me is the overriding theme that Jesus is trying to get across to those following him Whatever you think might be the cost of following Jesus, I can assure you it's going to be costlier. Whatever, you, whatever your view of the kingdom of God, I can assure you it's going to ask more of you. More of your time, more of your money, more of your family than you think you can give. But As I hope we'll find out, it's all worth it. It's all worth it. So let's begin looking in verse 18 of our passage this morning. In verse 18, the first thing we see is that following Jesus is not for the masses. If you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me, and I want to give you just a heads up. I don't have a ton of slides this morning. I want us to use our Bibles. I'm going to make you work this morning. Phones, Bibles, whatever you've got. So let's look at verse 18. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. You know, I, I like how the New Living Translation actually translates this. Oh, you know what? We, we do have slides. Who put those slides in there? <laughs> um, all right. Okay. You st- I'm still going to make you work. We're getting there. Uh, okay. So I, I really like the way the New Living Translation says it. it. It provides a little bit more clarity to this verse. It says this. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. So here, Jesus is tired. It's been a long day. He instructs his disciples to go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And what's probably most striking about Jesus' instruction is that even though we see all throughout the Gospels that large crowds following Jesus wherever he goes, he's constantly saying things that generally don't lend themselves to attracting a lot of people. Jesus, in other words, he's not trying to win friends and influence people. If your intention is to start a large movement and draw a crowd, you typically don't say things like, Blessed are those who are persecuted on my account. Or, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Or, The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and few find it. Jesus is not your typical smooth talking mega church pastor or politician. He tries to gauge the room so that he can say whatever he thinks the room might want to hear. That was on perfect display last Wednesday night. Jesus is different. He spoke with authority. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 to 29. All right, it's not there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 to 29. Just split the page it says this, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. As we continue to read, we're going to see examples of the kinds of people that made up the crowds that were following Jesus. We know from reading the gospel that there wasn't a member of society, tax collectors, fishermen, Religious leaders who weren't affected in some way by Jesus. But for the most part, these were people, regardless of their profession, who were driven by selfish motives and a desire really to see Jesus perform miracles, not those interested in laying down their lives for the cause of Christ. We know this in part because at the time of Jesus' death, where were they? They were nowhere to be found. So the first person we see in the crowd that Matthew highlights is a person that Tim Keller likes to call the idealist. The idealist. Read with me in verses 19 to 20. uh, Chapter 8, verses 19 to 20. Matthew writes, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I love how Jesus never responds in the way that you might think. He's always thinking of the bigger picture, right? He's always looking at the motives. He's always looking at the heart. Instead of a straightforward, hey man, I know you're an expert in the law, but you have no idea what you're signing up for. He responds with the more cryptic, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. In other words, he responds... If the Son of Man, you know, you know the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13? The one that he prophesied about, who, about who's going to be given all dominion and glory and an eternal kingdom where all people will worship and serve him. Yeah, you know, the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, if he has nowhere to lay his head, what makes you think you're going to fare any better? It's clear by the scribe's promise to follow Jesus wherever he might go. And Jesus' response to him, that he really has no idea who Jesus is or where he's going. He's an idealist. He's seen enough of Jesus' miracles to know a good thing when he sees it. And he's ready to promise the world to gain Jesus' favor. Now, we've all known idealists. Typically, idealists are those who are younger, maybe they're more immature in their faith. They have no idea what they're committing to, but they're all in. If you have kids, you're living with an idealist. You're living with idealists. So lately, one of the big debates in our house is, who can eat a full adult Chick-fil-A meal? My older kids are constantly trying to prove to me that they're too old for that kid's meal, and they can finish an entire spicy chicken with fries. As far as I can remember, they've never actually finished eating a, a spicy chicken with fries adult meal at Chick-fil-A, but this doesn't stop them from arguing with me. Each time you go to Chick-fil-A and saying, Dad, 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 the kids' meal is not enough. It's not enough food for me. And their arguments can get pretty nonsensical at times. Dad, you remember that time when I ate eight slices of pizza? I'm like, what does pizza have to do with Chick-fil-A sandwiches? It just doesn't make any sense. Dad, I'm so hungry. I've never been more hungry in all my life. <laughs> Are you sure about that? (laughs) I'm going to finish this meal. (laughs) Inevitably, I give in, right? I give in, Chick-fil-A sandwiches, half Chick-fil-A sandwiches end up in our fridge and only to be thrown out the next day. Sadly, when it comes to making promises to God, we're often not much different than our kids, are we? We say things like, Jesus, if you help me get that promotion at work, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Jesus, if you help me marry that person, I'll become a missionary. Jesus, if you help me get into that school, I promise, I promise, 100%, I'm going to follow you once I get there. Like a father or mother who knows their child best, Jesus isn't interested in your idealistic promises. He's interested in your obedience. What we also see implied here in Jesus' encounter is unlike the idealist, Jesus knows where he is going. He's going to the cross. Jesus was on a mission. He was sent by his Father for a singular purpose. What was that purpose? To seek and to save the lost. That's it. People who don't lay their head on the same pillow every night, they're people on the go. Jesus was, for the most of his teaching, on the run. He was on the run from the religious elite, he was on the run from the Roman authorities. What Jesus is saying here is, if you want to follow me, you too must put your hand to the plow, take up your cross, and join me in this mission that I'm on. So the second thing we see here is that following Jesus means having a great commission mindset. All right, Chris, what's a great commission mindset? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the great commission. Look at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Matthew twenty-eight verses nineteen to twenty, a verse, verses that are very familiar to many of us. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to twenty, the final words of Jesus recorded by Matthew in his gospel. Jesus commissions his disciples by saying this. He says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am, I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying, guys, you know, if you're up for it, I'll tell you what would be really nice. Like if you could just, you know, take some time out of your day, maybe once in a while, tell some other people about me. Not that difficult. You know, and, and what would be even better? I, I, guys, I know you're really busy and you have got a busy schedule, but if you could fit this in, maybe teach them how to do some of the things that I taught. I really appreciate that. That's not what he's saying. Those with a great commission mindset don't see Jesus as an add-on to their already busy schedule. Those with a great commission mindset, like any good soldier, count the cost before they sign up to fight. Being on mission with Christ means having a changed way of life. A countercultural disposition that defines you. It means wearing Christ on your sleeve and being proud of it. Are you ready for that? The scribe that we see here was full of youthful enthusiasm. He may have even been sincere, but he was sincerely wrong about what it meant to follow Jesus and who Jesus was. So knowing this, the question to us this morning is really pretty simple. Who do you think Jesus is? Let me introduce him to you. You have your Bibles or your phone, look with me at Isaiah chapter 53. A long passage of scripture, but I think it's important for us to read. Isaiah chapter 53. says this. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with much grief, We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered, that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin he shall see his offering he shall prolong his days the will of the lord shall prosper in his hand Or the transgressors. Jesus is a suffering servant. Is this the Jesus that you know? Or is it the placid, anodyne, genie-in-a-bottle Jesus, presented by so many so-called churches today that you know? In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famed German theologian and Lutheran minister in the time of Nazi Germany, describes the cost of following Jesus this way. He said, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is, the dying, it is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives to death. Thus it begins... The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What Bonhoeffer is saying, what our passage this morning teaches, is that there is no neutral ground when it comes to the kingdom of God. In God's economy, you're either in the kingdom with his call to die, or you're out of the kingdom, it's binary. There's no buffer zone. This is not like the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. There is no buffer. Amen. I've got a rope here. I want you to imagine with me that this rope represents the, the line, the border, if you will, between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Over here, we have the kingdom of man. Over here, the kingdom of God. And if your goal, if our goal is to enter the kingdom of God, then whatever we do over here in the kingdom of man means very little. In fact, it really means nothing. It doesn't matter if you went to church every Sunday. doesn't matter if you've given to the poor. It doesn't matter if you brought a dish to every potluck. If you're still in the kingdom of man, you're still lost in your sins. You're still lost in your sins. What did Jesus say? He said, on the day of judgment, there are going to be people that come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And what's he going to say? He's going to look at them and he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That may be some of you here this morning. Some of you here this morning may be trying as hard as you can, in your own strength, to get into the kingdom of God. But you're lost in your sins. Others of you this morning, you've crossed over the line. You crossed over the line. You've you've given your life to Jesus. You've pledged allegiance to follow him. You pledged and professed to follow him. But you're trying to stay as close to that line as you possibly can. You're trying to stay as close to that former life that you had as you possibly can. Some of you have stepped forward, but you're looking back. You're looking back at that old lifestyle, your old friends, the places you used to go. It's kind of like Sarah Groves who says you're painting pictures of Egypt. God's brought you out, but you're looking back. That's not what it means to follow Christ. What it means to follow Christ is is to cross over the line, to look forward and not look back. Don't be like Lot's wife, who after leaving Sodom, she looked back, and what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. God wants us to move forward and not look back. In preparing this sermon, I learned that in the early 1900s, there were missionaries called one way missionaries. I don't know if you've heard about these, but these were missionaries who packed all of their belongings in coffins and bought one way tickets to where they were going. They were going to areas in the world that were notoriously hostile to Christianity. And they did this because they thought, it's very likely that I will never return. One of the forerunners of these missionaries, however, was Adoniram Judson. Judson lived in the early 1800s and was born actually just a few short miles from this church in Malden. He served 37 years in Burma. Returned home only once in those 37 years because of his ailing second wife. Within the first 14 years of his missionary service, Judson's first wife and all of their children died. He would marry again, but his second wife would also die. Despite being in prison for a time during long bouts of depression, at the time of Judson's death, he had translated the entire Bible into the Burmese language, he had helped plant 63 churches. He'd seen thousands of converts in Burma. Judson and other missionaries like him had a great commission mindset. They realized that to follow Christ meant complete surrender. They were under no illusion that the Christian life was life as usual, life with a few added responsibilities thrown in. They understood that the Christian life is an all-or-nothing life. Now, this mindset is exactly what Jesus, is exactly what's behind Jesus' response to the second individual that we see here in Matthew 8, verses 21 to 22. Look with me, if you will, at these verses, verses 21 to 22. Matthew writes, another of this, the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and lead the dead to bury their own dead. Whoa. (laughs) Jesus was no stranger to hard sayings. But it's likely that Jesus' response here comes across a little bit harsher than it actually was. You see, in Jewish families, it was customary for the firstborn son to receive the inheritance of his father. With this in mind, it's most likely the case that this person wasn't asking to go home and bury their father who had just passed away, but was instead asking if they could be with their father in the latter years of his life so that he could be seen as a faithful son and receive his inheritance. Scripture, of course, also teaches that we're to honor our father and mother. Even still, what Jesus is saying here would have been seen as radical, it would have gotten the attention of everyone who was listening. Jesus is essentially saying, you thought you knew me, think again. Now, if you're married this morning or have been married, at some point in your marriage, you've probably had this same kind of radical realization. You thought you knew who you were marrying, and then one day you woke up and realized you have no earthly idea who this person is. (laughs) Hey, this is what makes marriage interesting, but it also comes with its challenges. This past spring, several of us participated in a, uh, and are still participating in a Sunday morning marriage class. And the original title for the textbook for that class was, What Did You Expect? It was actually the title of the book. The reality is, is that none of us can know exactly what following Christ will mean for our future. But what it does mean is that we can never say, I will follow you, but... Following Jesus means never saying, like this person in our passage, yes, but. Yes, Jesus, I know you're calling me to serve you in Christian ministry, but I just need to tend to the needs of my family first. Yes, Jesus, I know you're calling me to give more to the church or Christian causes, but I just need to become a little bit more financially secure before I do that. Yes, Jesus, I know you've called me to date someone who's a true believer, but, you know, I'm kind of confused about my own relationship with you right now, and once I get that straightened out, Jesus, I promise, I'm not going to date that person anymore. I'll get out of this relationship, and then I'll follow you. We do this. We say things like this. If you know much about the story of St. Augustine, you know that before he came to Christ, he lived with a mistress that he loved very much. The story goes that one day he overheard the teachings of the Bishop Ambrose on chastity, and he began to feel guilty about the way he was living, specifically about this relationship with his mistress. Augustine's response to this guilt was to pray, Lord, make me pure, but not yet. How often are we just like Augustine? We want to straddle the line, we like our conveniences. We want the best of both worlds, or at least what we think is the best of this world. You know, I started my sermon this morning by saying that following Jesus is costlier than you think. And that's true. But there's another truth, an even greater truth. And that is that the cost of not following Jesus is even costlier. Jesus says in Luke 9 verses 23 to 25 that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? If you're here this morning and you're playing church, maybe you're trying to impress someone, Maybe you're playing the odds by holding on to the things of this world, thinking that if all this Bible stuff isn't true, at least I've, got to, I've had a chance to enjoy the finer things of life. But if it happens to be true, then well, I may get into heaven by the skin of my teeth, but I'm still going to get in. I can assure you, if this is you, there is no remission for your sins. I had a pastor who used to say, there's no one after going to hell who says, man, I sure fooled them. I had it all. Those Christians thought I was one of them. Trust me, that is not a thing. The only person you're fooling is yourself. Listen to what Augustine said later in his life. He said, I was bound down by the disease of the flesh. Its deadly desires were a chain that I dragged along with me, yet I was afraid to be freed from it. For my part, I was a prisoner of habit, suffering cruel torments are trying to satisfy a lust that can never be satisfied. Is that you this morning? Have you had that experience of trying to satisfy the desires of your flesh, popularity, things, money, lust, only to find out that it was all a lie? Have you realized that having everything you ever wanted doesn't exactly look like you think it should? Are you done pretending to follow Christ Listen, you might fool me, you might fool your friends, you might fool your spouse, you may even fool yourself, but you're not fooling Jesus. What well, this world is not more pretending Christians. What it needs are faithful Christ followers who live what they preach. Faithful Christ followers who have counted the cost and are looking straight ahead. Faithful Christ followers who want to identify with a suffering servant. What this world needs is Jesus Let's show them what it means to be a true Christian. Friends, only Jesus can satisfy your deepest longings for contentment, for happiness, for the one thing that we all want most, the desire to be known and loved. The Christian life is not an easy life, but I promise you, I promise you, it's the only life worth living. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When are you going to start truly living? When are you going to stop trying to save your own life? When are you going to realize that the cost of not following Jesus is death? Friend, only Jesus can save you. But like Bonhoeffer said, you must first come and die to yourself. Die to the idea of what you think your life should look like. My family and I recently uh, returned from vacation and a few days after we returned, I was driving down the narrow winding road that leads to our house and I noticed on the side of the road a bouquet of flowers. They were uh, were up against a tree. Uh, I didn't think much of it until the next day I noticed there were a few more flowers up against that same tree. Soon in the midst of several flowers, there sat a small white wooden cross leaned up against the tree with some initials on it. One day I was driving home and I drove past a group of people. It was probably 20, 30 people. The oldest among them had to be in their, maybe their mid-20s. They were all huddled around the tree with that small white wooden cross with the initials on it. I found out later that a 20-year-old man, fresh out of high school, was riding his motorcycle when a car crashed, or a car caused him to crash into the tree. And he died a few days later in the hospital. After a while, I began to wonder if this cross would remain indefinitely at the foot of the tree on my narrow, windy road. So that every time i drive past, I would see it. I wasn't sure what to think about this. It all seemed a bit macabre. I, I wasn't sure I wanted to be confronted by death every time I drove my kids to school, to soccer practice, to church why did this tragic accident have to happen here on my road? But I've since had a change of heart. As tragic as this accident was, I'm actually grateful for the constant reminder that life is short, that it can be taken in the blink of an eye. My hope is that our children will grow up seeing that small white wooden cross with the initials on it, and be reminded that life is like the grass that withers And only a life spent living for Jesus matters. Now, as Christians, it's easy to hear a sermon on the cost of following Christ and think, whoa, 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 Chris, this is far too crazy, far too radical. I know what Jesus is up to here. There is no way I'm selling everything I have and moving to Africa to be a missionary. I don't know why people's minds always jump to moving to Africa to be a missionary. I was there for two years, and let me just tell you, it was amazing. It was great. Nothing wrong with being a missionary in Africa. Look, I have no idea what God is calling you to. He may be calling you to sell everything and move to Africa. There are some in this room I know I've spoken with, I've prayed with, about that very thing. He may also be calling you to be a faithful husband and father or an entrepreneur or helps fund missionary efforts. If you just heard that line and you thought to yourself, man, I'm off the hook, then I pray that God would convict you. That's, that's not a simple thing. God's not letting you off the hook. He's calling you to give everything that you have. He may also call you home today. What I do know is that he demands your heart. He demands your will. He wants you to have a great commission mindset, and he wants you to put him first in your life. Brothers and sisters, following Jesus may be costlier than you think, but we can rest in the promise that the righteous are never forsaken. Take heart. Jesus is with you even to the end of the age. I want to do something a little bit different now, something that we haven't uh, done before. I'm I'm going to pray in just a minute, Uh, but after I pray, um, I'm going to have the sound team play a song for us. Uh, Worship team, you can just stay where you're seated, come up after the song is finished. As we listen to this song, I want us to just be still. I want us to meditate on what we've just heard. Are you ready to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Have you counted the cost, or is it maybe just too high? Are you wanting to put your hand to the plow and look forward without looking back? What are you holding on to? If God's speaking to you this morning, please do business with him. Let's not hesitate. Do business with him. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do business with men and women in this room this morning. Father, this is a difficult word. These are hard sayings. Father, you've asked us to count the cost. Not be like the idealist who says, I'll go with you wherever you go. It has no intention of, of counting the cost. Doesn't know that you're going to the cross. Father, would we take up our cross and follow you wherever you you might lead us. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name.